Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We are both certified arborists through the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forests, which include neighborhoods, parks, and other open spaces. We will also cover a myriad of tree topics, including the important role trees play in relationship to the climate crisis. Thank you for joining us. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Monheim Microphones. Monheim Microphones designs and handcrafts top-tier studio microphones and preamps right here in the United States in Hollywood, California. Their incredible line of innovative microphones and designs are used around the world by everyone from podcasters to top-charting record producers and singers. They recently released their new royalty microphone, Monheim Microphones Unparalleled Excellence. MonheimMicrophones.com. Verdant Earth Educators provides dynamic in-person training and online learning opportunities for environmental and horticultural businesses. Owned by ISA certified arborists and former university faculty, the Verdant Earth Educator team provides consultations on tree care and recommends climate resilient opportunities for your valued green spaces. Verdant Earth Educators is all about seeding knowledge for success. Find Verdant Earth Educators at verdantearthseducators.com. This podcast is being recorded on August 11th, 2023. Lars Peter Jensen is originally from Denmark and arrived in the USA in 2003. Lars is the head of sales, marketing, and business development and part owner of the Blackmore Company. Blackmore has been instrumental in the horticulture industry for more than 50 years. His company holds a patent for the air trade technology system, which is what drew Lars to the company. As a systems person, Lars has a simplified but analytical approach to nursery production. His philosophy includes these two mottos, don't automate a problem, remove it. And to each action, there is a reaction. Lars' entry into the green industry was accidental, right out of college from Denmark. His degree from a university was international sales. After his taste of the U.S. and needing a work permit, Lars went back to Denmark and went on with his career in international sales and marketing. Lars settled down in Vielle, Denmark, and had a family. One day, he received a call from Elpot, a company in Denmark, asking him to go to America for them. This is where he met Skip Blackmore, the owner of the Blackmore Company, the distributor of the Pot in the U.S. Working with Skip Blackmore, Lars learned a great deal and eventually became a partner in the Blackmore Company. This was the start of a 20-year road trip with a lot of bumps and hills and unexpected curves, but it all led to Air Trade Technologies, which holds the Pot. This combination is a revolution in the horticulture industry and will lead to the next generation of growing efficiently and in half the time. Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast, Lars. We're delighted that you could be with us today. Well, I'm excited to be here with you guys. And first, I want to say I appreciate all your efforts. You know, with, with, I've listened to not all of your podcasts, but some of them. 
and just uh, I like the the message and what you guys are trying to to put out, and it's needed. We certainly appreciate that. Yeah, and, and for that reason, I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much. So we'll channel that excitement into a great conversation. Uh, we're going to cover a lot of ground today, and really. For our listeners, perhaps go into some of the territory that we don't normally cover, which is going to be production of seedlings and supply. But Lars, let's just start with a basic question of how did you find your way to horticulture and how did you find your way to the United States? Well, you know, so uh, as you know, there's no such thing as a straight line. So I can say I found my way to, to America in 1997. Fresh out of college, I was asked to join a, a company that was in the fishing industry and, and go to America to streamline the subsidiary or whatever. And that was exciting for a guy hit out of college, 24 years old. So I went over there and, and, and uh, went in and, and, and did a, a good job, but I had to go back to Denmark because... You know, I didn't have work permit, and so I couldn't stay. But my love for America and the American way had been sown. And and that just stayed with me uh, forever. You know, and in all honesty, as any Europeans, you start looking in the 80s and you start looking at some of these series that come out like, oh, that's cool. For me, it was nice to see America was a lot more than what you see on, you know, Beverly Hills 9.20 or, you know, Dallas and Dollars and what have you. But we've been brought up with that in, in, in Denmark. I totally love the energy. I like the hard work. I like the fact that, you know, hey, life is hard, so let's get on with it. Attitude. And that's something that I think the Europeans could learn a little, little bit from, uh, you know, at times. So I took that with me back, and that was one of the lessons. So what brought me into this industry was I had a boss when I came back from America. I had uh, a boss that uh, I ended up having a really good relationship with. And um, we got along really well, worked together, and we went our separate ways uh, as careers go. And uh, he ended up uh, being uh, hired as uh, uh, managing director for this uh, small company in Denmark called uh, Elipod. And um, he had uh, he called me out of the blue, and he said, "Last, I-, I need you to go to America and get us get us set up there. We have a distributor over there. They're called Blackmore, but uh, we can do more." And I said, hey, I'm not the guy. We just had our first kid and uh, built our first home. And I was like, said, I'm like, I'm never going to travel anymore. I'm just going to stay home, have that typical family life. And so I came home that day and told my wife. I said, hey, I was offered uh, to go to America. And she, uh, she asked where. And I'm like, I think we can be anywhere. And she's like, you think Florida? <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, yeah, you know, well, call them back. So little did I know that her dream was to go to Florida. She had worked as an au pair in Florida when she was young for a year. And she loved it. And she always fancied going back to Florida with her family. And so that got me calling them back. And it ended me over here with no knowledge about, you know, I didn't know a poinsettia from a rose. I had no idea. And, and I hope I don't get in trouble by saying, and nor did I really care that much, you know, because I am that typical consumer that is not necessarily waking up every morning thinking about plants and, oh, let me go and, and, and make, you know, I like what they do for us, right? But um, anyways, uh, you know, I was lucky to, uh, you know, well, before I'd say I'm a process guy. So I felt 
with what this product had, there were some opportunities to uh, to work with uh, because it is in a production setting. I call I don't call greenhouses greenhouses. I call them plant factories, and um, you know, and you need to process your factories correctly in order to come out with a the best product and be at the best possible cost, right? And, uh, you know, those things go together, you know. So I, I came over here with that in, in my toolbox, so to speak, and I started traveling around. I did not get a single phone call for the first year, including from Blackmore, that was my distributor. I would call them, but none of them called, like, not, like, it, this year was a learning expedition for me. And uh, I went out, visited a lot of uh, greenhouses, asked a bunch of stupid questions. I'm sure they were laughing whenever I'd leave. I was like, why would you ask such a question? But I was gathering what things that I, I felt were important. And um, and then, uh, you know, as time went on, I got to be closer with, with uh, you know, uh, my friend, uh, my partner and uh, and mentor, Skip Blackmore, who was uh, who's the owner of, of Blackmore Company. And even though we didn't talk much in the beginning, he was watching a little bit what I was doing and he was hearing my questions uh, and, and he was helping me understand the industry. And yeah, that's kind of how we uh, we got started over here and, and we still have this relationship today. You have a, a really interesting philosophy about cost, the idea of the way you operate. Can you share that philosophy with our listeners? I think I think it was really important. Because yeah. not everybody, not everybody thinks like that, and I think because you come from an international business background, it gives us a, a little bit of a, a window into how you visualize things and how you see things and how other people may not see it that way. You know, I'm a we're in business to make money, and 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 that any business in order to be sustainable, they have to make money, and I think what I've seen over here. And where I am getting a little bit after my European colleagues at times, they tend to chase the zero. Like, let's get towards zero as, as, as quickly as possible. And they, so they keep, keep automating. But, you know, sometimes in order to really make a profit, you have to make changes. And so my big thing is, and what I've learned over the many years, I used to chase the zero just as much as anybody else from Europe. Was what are you what are you automating? You know, and in the beginning, I'd look at this and I'd say people that automate right in the middle. You know, I believe that if you're going to automate, you have to look at the whole process from start to end or from end to start. A lot of guys don't do that, and then uh, they end up making some mistakes because you know. For every action you take, there's a reaction, and you got to think those through. So, you know, my my big thing that we go in and we talk with our customers about, and what we also tout in the industry is, don't automate your problem, remove it. And unless you understand the process of a customer, from the minute that customer picks up the phone, or the grower picks up the phone to order material and until that finished material, whatever it is that are producing goes out the door. We have to be a part of that whole thing in order for us to give the benefits with any product that we sell in between start to end here. And so we're pushing out with our customers and the people that are working with us. That's what we're coming in and that's what we're talking to them about. So it's a big 
kind of thing we go in with. It's not just, hey, we want to buy a machine. Do you have a machine? Yeah, we have. We can sell you a machine, and then maybe it fits, maybe it doesn't. No, we want to try and make sure if you go into this, it's it's something that that is is a pivotal change for your company that you've you've decided to uh, you know embark upon here. You know, I wanted to mention this that I was at an event last night, and um, it was a it was for landscapers and people like myself who are involved in horticulture. And one of the things that caught my ear, which kind of connects with what you're talking about, was a gentleman said, oh, where I used to work, we only did a piece of whatever it was. We didn't know what what happened before, and we didn't know what happened after. They would do the design, but they would never see it finished, and they never saw the place where where it was actually coming from. So I thought, oh, he said, I like to see the whole picture and then break it down. And everyone should be able to see the whole picture because when you see a whole picture, you can break that picture down into pieces, but allow everyone to see those pieces and to make the process efficient. And you could change, the, you could change those pieces when you see something that's not working. Yep, Absolutely. That's what that kind of reminds me of. Not everybody has that vision. Some people will say, you know, I only want to sell you a pot to put your seeds in. I don't care what soil you use. I don't care what anything else. All I want to do is sell you the pot. But if you don't understand the whole process, then that's where you have the fallacies happen or the faults. Absolutely. And we used to be those type guys. We used to, you know, we didn't know. So, you know, coming over here and just having a curiosity. And I think, you know, kind of lucky that I didn't know anything. Like like I said, didn't know poinsettia from a rose. And so I had to get a little bit of knowledge. And, you know, Skip Blackmore, for sure, like I mentioned, you know, today is my partner, but, you know, he's my friend and 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 mentor in a big way in, in, in understanding the process of our various customers. But then you meet people along the way also that that makes you uh, makes you stop up and say, hey, you know, there's a guy out in California. His name is Brian Kempf. And Brian Kempf is what I call a certified root nerd. He is all about roots and what you can do with those. And so I saw an email from him to an internal sales. It was just by coincidence. And I'm like, hmm, that sounds interesting. So I called him and said, I'd like to come and visit you. And he was working uh, with, with, a, with a product that I actually then ended up buying the patents and, and, and products were called Pioneer Pots late on in my career here. But what he was teaching me was the importance of roots. And this year was for shade trees because nobody wants a big old oak tree to fall in the house, you know, 20 years after you, you, you have it established, right? So he was telling me about all the, the things there, important by having structural roots and anchoring roots and, and these things. So I learned that. So basically right there, I learned, okay, everything I'd done for trees and shrubs was wrong. So that was a good thing. But what I also took with me was, oh, so when I air prune, the plant goes back, no matter what plant it is. I mean, it can be a 12-day lettuce or a you know multi-year oak tree. When it comes out, the root comes out in the air prunes, it goes back and makes feeder roots. Can can you explain? Can you explain what that air pruning is like? Because not everybody is familiar with air pruning. 
And so if you explain that, that might be very helpful yeah. to those who are listening. Yeah. And also so, just to set that up a little bit more, um, it sounds like you're about to tell us about the air tray and the technology behind well, this invention. I, yes and no, a little bit. You know, um, I, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about some of the guys I met that taught me a few things. Sure. Here. But so on air pruning, very simple. You need a container almost to create this. But you need as much air in that container as possible. And then you need to make sure the container does never allow a root to hit a flat surface. So the root will always go out into the air and air prune. That's why most of the air pruning containers you see out there that people are selling, I'm not going to get in into the names, but you know, they don't work. I mean, because they simply don't have the knowledge, the producers of these, what it is that they're really looking for. But once the root comes out and it meets the air, then just automatically what, what that plant does, it shuts that root off. It basically it doesn't kill it. It just says, hey, you got to stop here, buddy. Not go any further. I'm going to shoot out some more roots here so I can survive because you out here not going anywhere. Right? So right. I got to feed on, on what I have here. And those are the feeder roots that I then developed. And if you are in a uh, in, in in shade trees, those feeder roots, once you plant that tree out, you don't see those, you know, six months after. You can dig that tree up six months after and you don't really see those feeder roots. You just see the structural roots. And Brian Kemp that I met, his view was, well, I, got, I need these structural roots here. Well, what I saw with this here was these feeder roots. Ah, I can actually, with this, produce things quicker. Quicker. So for a process guy and for a production guy, I'm like, ah, I see money there, uh. value for the grower right here, right? So that's what I got out of that. So I learned that I was doing everything wrong when it comes to our containers because I was not creating structural roots at that time. But I also learned a value, valuable lesson in how I could actually grow some of these things in half the time compared to what people are doing today, you know, whether it's bare root or any any other type of containers. And so that was that was interesting. And that relationship with Brian Kempf led me into uh, getting to know, uh, you know, I know he's been on your show also, uh, Dr. Ed Gilman, mm-hmm. who was a professor out of University of Florida. And he used to uh, run this great, great Southern uh, tree conference. Yes. So now that I learned everything that I was doing wrong, I wanted to get into this a little more. So I, I joined that and I got to know Ed and he would teach me a bunch of other things that that I was doing wrong in terms of understanding, you know, distribution of water in your mix. So you don't create wet feet. So all the roots are just not going down to the bottom uh, of, of the cell, but get them out higher. So, you know, with things like that, you just ended up with a toolbox that from a production uh, side was valuable for me anyways. And for some of the customers that we work with that have the attitude and the knowledge that they know they got to do something different, right? In order to to stay in the game of, of growing trees. There's a company in, in California, and I am going to mention the name because they are out of this world, just way ahead of everybody else. It's devil. devil Devil Mountain Nursery in California. What's it called again? Devil Mountain Nursery. Devil Mountain Nursery. Okay. Yeah. 
And, uh, you know, they're growing their shade trees in half the time compared to anybody else. Wow. By putting value into air pruning and they're doing without the labor, right? So it's uh, it's just exciting to see these early adapters having the success, but also the opportunity to outcompete everybody, not just on quality, but even on price if they ever had to, you know, because they're growing it for less money, a much higher quality uh, tree. I think we really need to point out that our industry, the, the tree industry itself, from a production standpoint, is about three billion trees shy of what we need. And growing trees faster will certainly help the situation that's happening in California and happening up in Canada with all the, f- the fires that are going on. I think that that's, that's really critical for the industry. It absolutely is. And it really should be critical for anybody that grows. You know, you got to grow these things. Like residency time is, you know, cost. So anything that we can do to, res- uh, to you know, decrease residency time is crucial. By residency, uh, Lars, you mean the time that that tree has been planted out and sitting in the, in the field. Is that right? Basically, no, the rest is, is what, what, how long does it sit in, in the greenhouse operation before it goes okay. out? Okay, gotcha. Before it goes out, before it goes out in the field. Yeah. Okay. This could be a tree, a rose, or poinsettia, you know, and some of these things grow quicker. But whenever you can reduce your production time, right, you're reducing your cost, you know. So if, if we're looking at some of these things and what, what we're looking into, with the value and then taking the roots as the main engine of this, which we're doing, is we can reduce time pretty much with anything that we're looking at. And so we can get, whether you're growing lettuce, I can get you to yield quicker than you are in a closed setup. It would, with roses, we can get you to get that rose, whatever type of rose it is that you, I can get that out of your greenhouse quicker to either be bumped up into something or into retail. And if you're talking uh, trees, the same thing. Now, once you're in trees specifically, listen, you know, it can take 30 years for some of these uh, trees to grow to, uh, to the size. So there's, of course, a lot of research that has to go into to, to this year for people to feel secure with it. I totally get that. But, uh, but data for sure is... If you put the power to the roots, the roots will pretty much do the rest for you. You know, and I, I mentioned, um, you know, one of our, in another customer we have is a Christmas tree grower in, um, in, in northern Michigan, Northern Pines Nursery. In about four years, he's turning out his Christmas tree that usually would take him seven years. Wow. It's not because I'm giving him something that's hocus pocus or magic. Right. He's doing all of that on his own. He's just giving the power to the roots and listen to, you know, what believed us enough to do the trials and have us work with him on it. And um, it turned out pretty successful. And so, again, it goes back to knowledge and attitude. I like that you just coined a meme there, Lars, which is uh, power, power to the roots. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder if I could just try tie that in a little bit to kind of that meta conversation that our our podcast seems to head towards more often than not, which is 
everything to do with horticulture and growing trees, planting trees, taking care of trees uh, against the backdrop of the climate catastrophe that we're all watching and you know, coming more and more to an undeniable uh, truth that it's here. And I just wonder if you might have a comment on the, the supply side, because I'm, I'm getting very interested in this issue. You know, we started this podcast, the Plant a Trillion Trees podcast, like, oh, yeah, plant a trillion trees and dust off our hands and we've resolved the problem. But tongue in cheek aside, we are now starting to realize, as Eva just alluded to a minute ago, you know, we're, we're a few billion trees short. We have a shortfall. And it seems like Blackmore is kind of aware of that. Can you give us your take on the supply issues in terms of what needs to happen so that there is a steady supply of trees for everyone out there getting them in the ground and creating canopy and creating shade? Well, you know, again, I would go back to one of my, uh, that I say is attitude knowledge, right? I mean, so let's get all straightened up and get a little bit better attitude on looking at some new things, which which obviously air traffic technology is, is one of. And I'm not saying that we're the only thing that, that works in the world. I'm, of course, biased where I'm coming from. But that would be my biggest thing is straighten up the attitude because fact is fact. We don't have enough seed as it is to take care of what we need to grow when it comes to trees. So how about we change up the way we seed? You know, So today, the way that the traditional production is, we're just throwing a bunch of seed onto a cell. And then because we throw enough seed onto that cell, every cell germinates, You know, maybe at least one tree, but some of the times two or three trees, maybe four trees. And then they go through the process of thinning it afterwards. And, you know, we look at these just simplistically and say, okay, we don't have enough seeds, so why are we wasting them? Why not go through, you know, what we say, uh, you know, selection period after. So do one seed at a time. So this is part of the process we put into where we say, instead of doing the thinning, we do one seed per cell, and then we take the seed, the cells that didn't take, we take those cells, put it in a new container, and we do it again. We reuse the mix that you already had. So we're not taking more material or using more material. In fact, what we're doing is improving that doing that selection is lower labor cost than it is doing the thinning because I can do it in one-tenth of the time. So it's just doing things a little bit differently. So again, if we don't have enough seed to cover all the trees we need, do we maybe think that it would make sense to think do things a little bit differently? Again, <laughs> yeah. attitude and knowledge. You know, right. yeah. that's what it comes down to. That's the biggest thing. And and what we do know is if you give the roots or the tree, the trees are allowed to have its root airproof correctly, not incorrectly. And you know, that's where the companies that go out, they have to have these conversations with the companies that are counting, oh, I can do air pruning. Well, what is it? You know, make sure there well, should almost be some certification within this because I see so many bogus claims, you know, whether it's out of Europe or here also, but especially out of Europe, but they just simply don't know what they're talking about. And so it gets that air pruning 
to have a little bit of, uh, it's almost like bioplastics, right? Bioplastics, people say, oh, just throw the bioplastic out and it'll degrade. And then we all find, found out what well, it's not degrading. No. That doesn't mean that, you know, this is never necessarily not true. You know, that's something that could work in, in the future, but there has to be a process. So don't, you know, just you got to know what you're talking about. And if you follow those steps, and that's what we've seen with the air trade technologies, if you just follow the simple steps that we go in and we work with our clients on, yes, you will reduce labor, you will grow your trees faster, and, and you will have, you know, a, a better take when you plant them out. That's period. And, and um, you, you know, so I, I think that's what we go back to. And I would say it's not even just in trees. What we find, found is, and that's, that's where we, we're going after, you know, also is, uh, is plants that we're selling in general. I think, uh, you know, from a horticultural standpoint, there's so, so many opportunities to, to give consumers out there a better experience working with plants than what we're doing today. So, uh, but definitely I have hope and we see enough foresters starting to take note of our message and, and those things we, of course, monitor. And we see that there is some of that starting to uh, sink in a little bit with them and they're interested in hearing. And I totally understand. Of course, nobody just jumps into that and gets on it just because I'm sitting here and saying that or, or, or something like that. It has to be tested. But that testing, uh, you know, after even just a few years will will show that what I'm talking about here is, uh, is correct. Do you ever have a package, like a, a trial kit for growers that they can do a small little model for themselves that could actually show this happening without having to convert everything that they're doing currently to your product or the product of air pruning could that be done in a way that, you know, sampling it and they see the difference right away that they then they'd be willing to switch? Is that something that you do? Yeah, we do that all the time. We yeah, do it all yeah the time. absolutely. Yeah. Okay. We okay. don't want to. I mean, the last thing we ever wanted to do is, is to throw something in at people and say, hey, invest into this. What, what we see, uh, you know, at, at Blackmore is... We have to make this work. So what we really are in the beginning, we're that annoying company that says, well, we'll trial with you, but we have to be part of this, would you? So we're not just jumping on every little trial that comes in the door and saying, oh, can we do this? No, we're doing a trialing because we know we can get the customer to be successful or the grower to be successful. But that grower also has to work with us and 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 listen to some of the things that we uh, we have learned by all of the many, 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 many mistakes that we've made throughout the years. I mean, when we do testing, I don't go out and talk to people about what they like. I want to know what they don't like. Because again, from a business standpoint, do I want to change what they like? No. I want to change what they don't like. And so it's things like that that makes us, uh, you know, I think maybe stand out a little bit, uh, you know, because we, we are thriving to be better. Mm -hmm. all the time, but not just better for us and, and for our pocketbook. It'll be good for us and our pocketbook if it's good for the grower. And right. that's that's where we kind of aim at. And that is, you know, again, from, from my standpoint, uh, you know, Skip Blackmore has been uh, my mentor on that and, uh, and and taught me so much over the last 20 years with that attitude. Um, so, um, yeah. 
It might be the idea that the grower doesn't like the fact that they can't grow enough of or turn their product over fast enough. And that might be the entry into the door with your product to try it and have them try it and for you to work together with them, especially when they might have a shortfall of plant material. That would be the the quickest way to get into somebody's door to be able to trial something like that. Absolutely. You know, and I think, you know, I think if you look at, and I know, I know we're talking trees here, but, uh, you know, if I go into horticultural level a little bit, you know, kind of coming through COVID, which I think was obviously quite the trip. Uh, there was no competition to uh, horticultural products uh, with sport events and sport bars and, you know, going out and all that stuff. So people, they uh, they went and, 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 and they proved that they would actually go in the garden if they didn't have anything else to do, which was good. You know, that we had almost, what, 20 million new customers in our industry. But then we lost them all again uh, when the competition came up, right? And and I think in our industry, uh, there is that opportunity to seize the moment of change where it is, it's just perfectly timed for it, you know, because we did go through COVID. Every, you could sell everything, you know, if you were in that. And then it all dropped off because they all had other things to do and um and they didn't buy the plants that they, they were used to. But when I talk about horticulture, I tease, you know, our customers and, and the establishment by saying, you know, we keep on focusing on the 10% of the population that cares about plants, but we forget about the big group out there. That's 90% of all the consumers that don't care about plants. And so we keep tending to, to the guys that care about a certain yellow or, or a certain cultivar. Instead of making, uh, you know, understanding like what is the consumers want today? Well, they want something that's easy, not a whole lot of hassle, but they do want to feel that they feel good about what they're doing. So they don't necessarily just like getting a product that's all made up for them, but they need to get the success. So if we change the way we sell these things and 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 we know from, from business to business is if you have better roots, you can grow. And you can be more successful, faster, better, at a lower cost. And so, you know, we look at this here on some of these areas where we want to take that into uh, into the, the retail level. Uh, you know, you talk about, you know, with Walmart or Costco and some of these big players, they all have ESG uh, numbers that they have to go back and report to their shareholders on and, you know, investors and what have you. And uh, that's just a big, the big opportunity, uh, you know, that that I wanted to kind of throw into this for our industry as a whole. And I want to point out one thing is, and, and that's the big one for our industry in horticulture is, if we really think about these box stores that are selling the plants, do we think that they make all our money, all their money on their profit on selling plants? I don't think so. Plants take up a lot of space at their places. What if they all decided, just like Target did, you know what? They don't make any sense to do this. I'm not saying they are. I'm not suggesting that. But I am saying that our industry is certainly full of plastic and full of extremely bad roots and uh, somewhat bad attitudes. And um, we got some opportunities coming our way if we get on it. But I, otherwise, I do actually see some, some dark clouds on us that this distribution will fall away. Do you have a sense at the uh, commercial end 
your clients that are working large scale with propagation. Is the air tray a reusable product? Do you think your clients will do a grow and then reuse it? Or is it more likely that they're going to ship the whole tray out? They should, number one, reuse it. And they should never send out the whole tray as as, as what we are, are talking about. And then, so we have two options when it comes to air trays. We have a thermoform and an injection molded. The injection molded will last you, what, 30 years and then we can recycle that plastic. And the thermoform with our customers, we offer to pick it up because we do want to stand out on, on that side. So, uh, you know, for our company, Blackmore, we've, we've done recycling of plastic out of necessity since forever. It's, it's close to 90% that's all recycled material, whether it's in-house recycled or post-consumer recycled. That's in any of the plastic that goes out there. And that's just a necessity to keep prices at bay in, in all honesty. Of course, today we can say, well, you know, it's a sustainability and we can start putting that on. Our... But fact is, in our industry, we've been doing that forever out of necessity to, to keep prices at uh, well, lower than, uh, you know, with the Chinese, where right. it's not recycled, right? And you can't recycle because it's plastic is contaminated. I just want to interject here on your website, Blackmore, I think it's blackmore.com. You actually have a video of, I think it's Scott Blackmore talking about. It is. Talking about how they recycle and how you can repackage your and send it back to your company. So if anybody's listening to this and they want to actually see this video, it's a really good video. And he tells you exactly how the product is reused. So I just wanted to point that out. The other aspect, Lars, that Blackmore does. Even I were talking about this when we were prepping for the show is uh, aren't you falling back on using paper products? Is that as a uh, internal sleeve for the plant? So what we learned in in agriculture and this this goes back to uh, you know again you're meeting these these guys. I, I met a guy in California. his name is Cliff Bumel. And Cliff Bumel was was head of a company out in uh, in California called Sierra Gold Nurseries. And they were a bare root nursery and, and they were moving into containerized. So he had a, a, a curiosity about roots. And so we ended up working a little bit with them. And, you know, long story short, they ended up doing, uh, you know, our paper pot, L pots in our air trays. At that time, the first air tray that we developed uh, for him. And, and he was very particular about his roots. So, you know, this was cer- certainly a learning curve. One of these moments also where we learn by listening. And so, uh, you know, he went from using, you know, uh, they dabbled into what size of containers did they want to use, and they used a, a plastic container that was almost two gallons of, of mix in order to give the plant a, a surviving chance. And uh, it needed a lot of soil. And then here we came and we said, hey, try this pretty much like a half a gallon. And it grew better and faster. And, uh, you know, so did we developed that into, uh, into that. And because of the energy that he had about this, they were successful to go out and sell that to their growers, to their farmers. And it proved itself that it would outperform traditional bare root, traditional containerized in the fields. So for me, that was kind of the early take on that. And then um, it moved on to, uh, well, you know, Shouldn't we try and sell these uh, things here, but making it look pretty and put a sleeve on it, and we could we could sell this. 
in in retail. And uh, so we kind of dabble on that, you know, ever since uh, coming up with with sizes that is comparable to basically the quart size up to the three gallons. Um, where we uh, where we didn't say well we grow it in our elopod in an air tray so we have you know good roots about twice the root mass in a half a gallon compared to what you'll have in a in a two gallon uh, you know just low mold plastic pot and so we say hey we understand that that's not necessarily a nice looking pot so we put a uh, a sleeve around that which is uh, you know a um, a carton uh, sleeve that we put on and you know we print that and then we give the opportunity to uh, to the growers to do the print on demand so we've just rolled that out uh, here recently to uh, to have something for retail if they are looking to reduce you know plastic we can we're reducing it you know because you do have some th- synthetics in the, in the in the in the cardboard this is one of these things that people are are maybe not aware of but you know milk carton you have synthetics in that. You have synthetics in newspapers. That's why the newspapers today are so thin, but they don't disintegrate the minute they get a drop of water on them. You know, so there is synthetics uh, in this here, but you know, you weigh that synthet- synthetics, the, the amount of synthetics in the cardboard here compared to a, a one gallon plastic pot, and you're reducing it like, I think it was 96.3% against a typical agricultural trade gallon that I, I just did the uh, calculation with. So, you know, we can wow. reduce plastic waste quite a bit and we can make it a lot easier to, uh, you know, uh, whether or not you're recycling it or you're just throwing it out. Because reality is most of the stuff that goes in on our industry is not recycled once it hits the, the retail stores. All of that, 99.9% you know, and I, people, they should do a, a real invest, investigation into that. It ends up in landfill, not because people don't want to recycle. It's just the infrastructure to do so. It's just way too expensive. So it ain't going to get done. Right. And then there's too many of the big, big suppliers, uh, big, big producers out there that are simply just buying too much stuff that is not recyclable. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to plastic. I was just going to ask, because I'm a, a novice for, you know, the supply end of things, Lars, can you talk about who your, kind of give us the pie chart on who your clients are? What sector is is your biggest client base? We're trying to seize the opportunity that, that we see out there with building uh, a better and, and, and a higher root mass. And so I would say that, that most of our customer base today We've 100% focused on them and we'll never forget about them. But we are looking to to bring in some change here. So right now we're, we're focusing a lot within forestry and nursery production. Like I said, you know, we have a Northern Pines nursery in, in Michigan. They're doing Christmas trees. We're following his or their results a lot. We're not just running out there and trying to sell this year into other Christmas tree nurseries Oh, the minute he has, uh, they they have some results up there. So we want to follow this here and make sure we understand these things before we just run out and try and sell that to everybody else, right? So so we're taking things a little bit easy, uh, you know, out of the gate. We want to do this here, right? And when it comes to, uh, you know, our, our retail side, yes, we're working mainly and focusing mainly on nursery 
companies that are selling perennials, you know, quart size up uh, to one or two gallons and shrubs and fruit trees in those areas. And then try and come in, make sure that we do a good job. So it's not just about pushing this product in. We want to seize this opportunity. We understand that any type of change is just a lot of hard work. And I hate change. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm the worst at change. So, you know, I understand that. And I also understand the hard work that has to go into that. It's easy to say, very, very different to do. So we go in, we do the hard work with the customers that we are working with to make sure that we we're doing this right. So, you know, we're on a year-long or, you know, multi-year-long travel here where we focus right now what we're doing at maybe a dozen customers. Now, we're talking with a lot of other ones where we want to get the information, we want to get them interested in it, but we're not just looking to like, hey, let's get this here moving tomorrow because it won't. We want to make sure we understand the basics of what the customer's needs are and so we've hired in also people that are at value for the customers. Uh, Mike Taylor is, is one that we have in, in forestry. Right. Mike is a, a, a forester by trade. He is having the knowledge of how forestry works. So when we have systems and we come up with systems, he is basically our go-to guy to say, how do we do this here right? We don't want to put on a lot of work that's, uh, you know, just not conducive to that uh, to a forestry nursery, you know. Yeah, we had Mike Taylor on. He was he was really interesting and in, and in talking about the forestry industry and how how he looks at the products that that Blackmore does. And I think that the forestry industry is really lagging behind other industries because people don't reach out to them enough. At least that's my own observation. That's what it seems like. I could be wrong about that. But. Well, I think in forestry, you know, when you have a product that you have to grow for 30 years before you see it, you have to go slow out of the gate with this. I totally get that, you know, and it has to be, you know, that is a multi-year process to just go in and make some changes. Because again, to any action, there will always be a reaction. So it's important to make sure that that reaction is a positive one because we don't want it to be a negative one. Right, right. Well, you know, I've learned a lot and I knew this hour would go quick, Lars, and and, and I'm sure uh, Eva feels the same way. I, ha I have to say one takeaway that you've given me that I'll be thinking about is just, you know, having the right attitude. Uh, I saw an article zip by this morning just in terms of climate deniers versus climate optimists and that it's important to be an optimist because if you're a doomsday person and I might be speaking from a personal standpoint uh, you have to you have to grab uh, and hop on the the, the optimism bus so thank you for for sharing your comments along those lines I, I wanted to ask you when you go back to Denmark which I'm assuming you get to do what what tree are you really looking forward to to seeing over there on the on the other side of the ocean? Your favorite homeland tree? So you know, there's certain times of, of years, uh, but you know, when you drive through Denmark, you know, the birch trees are just always, you know, a uh, it's just all over, you know. But but my favorite tree, absolutely by far, is is the uh, the majestic look of an oak tree that's just there, big and strong. Uh, that for sure. And we don't have 
that many of those in, in in Denmark. But you know, we in Florida where we live, you go. We actually in Rockledge where we live, it's it's surrounded by big old oak, oak trees, and and that was the the reason why we uh, ended up going there because it's just it's so pretty. Now it's a mess to clean up. I have to admit, <laughs> you have a lot of work, but listen, it keeps you uh, keeps you moving, right? So that's good. So I would say, by far, the oak tree is just just a, 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 as majestic as it is, as it stands big and strong. is is just uh, it, it's uh, it almost looks American to me. Yeah, yeah, it speaks to a lot of people. Well, we got two good answers from you. Yeah, the birch trees and the oaks. Yeah. And I would like to just end this here and say, I am 100% extremely optimistic for the future, for what we're doing, because we do have the answers to these things, and it's exciting. And I also want to say, there's never a work that's done by one single entity. It's a team of good people, and it's a team of good companies that go together at least from where I'm standing, is we have a team of good people. We have a good team of good companies behind us. And then right now, we have a team of extraordinarily good customers, partners, I want to call them, more than customers, that we're working with. And it is, I can't say how optimistic I am, not just from uh, the business standpoint, but from the environmentally uh, point is is it, we're going to get this done and uh, humanity is is going to it's going to look at this here and we we always overcome these these issues so we'll we'll overcome this here also well, that's a nice way to end our podcast excellent closing comments Lars I really really appreciate that yes absolutely I do, I do too that's great thank you so much for your time and and your wisdom and uh, we wish Blackmore continued uh, success. And uh, it's, it's just been great to make the connection. Yep. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. And you guys, uh, you know, carry on the uh, the work you guys are doing because uh, people are listening and, and it's needed that uh, we have these uh, grassroots, like I, I put you guys under a little bit and, and, and push out uh, because we do need to grow trillion of trees. So uh, let's get on with it. Fantastic. Thanks again for your time, Lars. Yep. Thanks. Same to you guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. The Planet Trillion Trees podcast is edited by Andromedan Recordings in Hollywood, California. Thank you.